I was trying to think about why I loved Jason Naylor's new book, Live Life Colorfully, 99 Ideas to Add Joy, Positivity, and Creativity to Your Life So Much. Yeah, it has the usual inspiration stuff that you can find in just about any creativity book. All of value, all great to hear and great to read. I love it, baby. But it's the color aspect, and specifically the fluorescent color palette that was so pervasive in the early 1990s. So Jason's book is uh, it was very neon, and everything was neon in the early 90s. So the color scheme of the book is very much in that vein, and I love it. Plus, I love illustrators, and wish I was better at it, and perhaps wish I could pivot to that. But that is nonsense, am I right? It's not like I have a trillion other things on my plate that I'm already just kind of, sort of good at. Starting over on something is not in the cards. Not right now, anyway. All I know is when I see lots of color, it makes me happy. It's why I've done these crayon drawings that I post on my personal Instagram. Stupid, but they're fun and kind of calming for me. I, th- I think they're fun and messy. And using crayon is such a such a tool of being a kid and raw and gross and messy and disorganized and imprecise. I kind of like it. It's a kind of a reflection of me, right? Makes sense. So Jason's book is badass and uh, should face outward on your shelf to give you that pop you might need. Oh, uh, by the way, I'm Brendan O'Mara, hey, hey, and this is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast. Mmm, we love that, baby. This is the show where I talk to badass people about the art and craft of telling true stories. Sometimes that's podcasters, memoir writers, essayists, narrative journalists, filmmakers. Today it's an illustrator, muralist, turned writer, and Jason Naylor. He's at Jason Naylor on Instagram. This show uh, pairs nicely with uh, previous episodes with like Michi Ng, author of Barely Functional Adult, uh, Scott Campbell of Adventures in Drawing, even Emily Poole, the illustrator behind the great book Bird Note. If you like uh, pairings like a certain wine and a a certain dark chocolate, if you will. In any case, moving on to a different topic. Before we get to Jason, of course, you've got nine days as of this publication to submit your essay for summer. That it needs to be in my inbox, podcast at gmail.com. Guidelines are atop the homepage of brendanomero.com. Hey, hey. And if you aren't a member on Patreon, you'll be missing out on the CNF Pod Audio Literary Magazine. For as little as $2 a month, new tier, you get access to the two issues of the magazine in 2021. There are other tiers worth shopping around that you'll that you can get. You'll get um, maybe some coaching and transcripts but in order to support the magazine we need members i'll put money in the pockets of other writers too this isn't a a selfish endeavor just helps subsidize the whole operation takes a lot of work and of course i want to pay that forward to a lot of the writers too it'd be nice to be known as a place that pays writers a lot for the amazing work that they submit and have the courage to submit so in any case this this uh this podcast is uh is Partially sponsored, partially, eh, let's just say it's sponsored by Exit 3 Media's Casualty of Words, a writing podcast for people in a hurry. Last I checked, that's you. Episodes are like 
usually under three minutes long and give you a little shot in the arm. I think a, a person once said it's kind of like a gummy vitamin of inspiration in the morning. You could even listen to Casualty of Words while brushing your teeth and be like, you know what, when I'm done spitting out this used toothpaste, I'm going to get right at it. That's what Casualty of Words does for you, baby. Anyway, while at brendanomero.com, hey, hey, there you can also get your ass on the newsletter list. And my goal to subvert social media and run an end around. That's the garage where we really jam and get the band together. I could send out a tweet, but Twitter decides who sees that and when. When you get a monthly email, you decide when you see it. It lands in your inbox when I send it, once a month. There are no algorithms curating your email deciding when and if you see that newsletter, right? That's what I love about it. And that's why it's such a great thing to double down on a permission asset. If you can get a newsletter going, do it. If you want a, a little... uh Template for how to maybe set yours up. Subscribe to mine. I uh, mine is has is my own voice, but it's heavily inspired by Austin Kleons among among others. But uh, I like it through my own prism, if you will. Lots of cool articles, podcast news, that kind of thing. Once a month, no spam. So far as I can tell, you can't beat it. So right now, I got Jason Naylor here today. He's an inspiring dude with a positive message. That makes me want to be a better man. Stay tuned for my parting shot at the end of the show. But in the meantime, check out this conversation with Jason Naylor. Rip. cool like being you know a street artist and working in spray paint primarily that um that essentially the world in the city can be your museum right yeah i mean i love that you called it a museum you know it's normally it's like the world the city is your canvas and it totally is and i, I the, the fact that you called it a museum is amazing because it, it, in a way like I guess it is more than a canvas because it is people walking around viewing the work, whether they, whether they chose to, or, or thought they were going to or not, you know, they stumble upon it or they, they go to see it. But yeah, it, it, it's, it is amazing when you put it that way. It's, it's extra amazing. Now I understand like growing up, your, your mother was a great influence on you in terms of creativity and, uh, and your father had, had a different sensibility and gave you a real sense of, um, maybe some, maybe the nuts and bolts of turning your creativity into something that can sustain you. So I was wondering if maybe you can speak to the, those, those influences and how they, uh, turned you into the artist and in person you've become today. Yeah, I mean, I love that you brought that up. My my mom is an artist. She she does portraits and paintings, and her work is well. Let me back up to say that she she was never a professional artist per se. She um, she did it more as a hobby, and she was busy with the seven children. And I'm one of seven, so you know, in her spare time, she was able to paint and and draw. She did pencil portraits and stuff like that. So. Beyond that, she's also very creative. And so me and my siblings, of course, spent a lot of time with colored pencils and paper and doing craft kind of things. Uh, you know, I was the kid that rather than being out playing soccer, I was probably building Legos or like, you know, drawing on a big sheet of paper that my mom would put out. So I think that was, and that was a pretty common thing as far as I can remember back. So I think that, you know, that that obviously sets the stage for, the creative portion of my, you know, the rest of my life. And then um, my dad, 
he is a real estate, a commercial real estate developer and broker. And he was always, you know, discussing his business and this sort of entrepreneurial uh, conversations that, that he was having. I think they kind of rubbed off on me. And, you know, I, I, I actually went to real estate school when I was in college one summer and I thought I was going to help them out on projects and I hated it so much. It was so not for me, you know, and so I, I actually dropped out of real estate school and, you know, maybe he was bummed about that. Maybe he wasn't. It was sort of a non-issue. He, he always was supportive of me being able to do what I wanted to do, be what I wanted to be. And he, he did give me this empowered feeling that I could be what I wanted to be. And I studied graphic design in school. So I was on track to be this graphic designer, which is like a, a, you know, a money-making artist career. And so he loved that. But over the years, obviously, I've evolved out of design and into doing like street spray paint murals and all that kind of stuff. And I know that he thinks it's so cool. So yeah, that, I mean, that, that kind of, those two sides kind of um, created a nice structure for me where I, I had a little bit of the, you know, the nuts and bolts, like you said, and the creativity. And now I'm able to, to use both together to, to run this creative business that I'm running. And maybe take us to that moment when maybe you had to have a tough conversation with your dad when you were thinking of dropping out of real estate school, that something that is classically stable to pursue something that is on its surface, uh, much more, um, much softer footing uh, and certainly less um, maybe certain if that's if that makes any sense. It does. I mean, although I, I can't actually recall that conversation. Uh, and which which makes me think that it, it must have been a non-issue. You know, I think if it were something, if there were friction because of it, I probably would remember. So I what I and since it was while I was in college, I, what I what I think I'm going to invent this memory here. What I think happened was I it kind of fizzled because I wasn't interested, and instead I was probably occupying myself with my school, you know, university related projects which were art projects but they were they were on this other track which also had some stability in its future so i i imagine that he was probably like well he's he's not into real estate but he still is like headed on a pathway that that works nice nice and so was seven seven of you growing up uh where where did you fall uh fall in the continuum of the uh, of the kids so i'm number two and we're okay. all pretty close together. So um, basically like two years apart, three at most. So it's, you know, it's a tight group and we're still pretty close. I mean, everyone's grown up and all over the country and everything. Um, but we, you know, all, all the relationships are great. Are there any other artists among, uh, among your siblings? Yeah, actually, my both of my brothers are extremely artistic and creative, although neither of them have really pursued pursued art professionally and you know i will say this too i i i'm a little bit bummed that they haven't because i you know i see their sketchbooks and their their personal work and i'm I, all, all i can think of is like you would be such a smash hit if you would like take this somewhere a little bit further but they've got other things going on so Nice. And as, so as you're developing, you know, your, your skill and, you know, in graphic design and you're getting, you know, that under your belt, you know, what are you also doing, you know, creatively to, you know, scratch a certain itch that might be something, uh, a seed essentially you planted that is now really, really bearing fruit? 
as a graphic designer, so I was working in-house for this company called Mac Cosmetics. And Mac is a makeup company that's very colorful. And so I was doing graphics and like design kind of work, art direction. I thought it was really cool at the time. So I actually felt really fulfilled in that in that job. But over the course of the years, I think I started to feel like I wasn't putting my name on anything. I, I didn't feel ownership over the work that I was doing because I here I was like busting my ass to, you know, for the betterment of this brand, not for you know, not my brand. And that started to become a little bit of a problem. But at the time I wrote I wasn't really doing it doing anything about it. I wasn't really like, you know, like you think you, you, you'll go home at night and work on your personal projects, but when you have a day job, that's actually really hard to do. You get home at night and you're exhausted and, or you want to go out and have a beer with your friends or whatever it is. And so you, you don't, you don't really pursue these things or I should say, I wasn't pursuing these, these, you know, scratching that itch, so to speak. So long story short, to answer your question, Ultimately, that drove me to quit my job so that I could start to scratch that itch and so that I could start to put my name on my work. And And it wasn't really until I had kind of found the rhythm of not having a job was I able to really start doing my own work and understanding what kind of work I wanted to do. And did you draw yourself up kind of a, a playbook of sorts of how to go about you know, leaving, leaving the steadiness of your day job to step into something that was definitely more fulfilling for you, where you could put your Jason Naylor stamp on it, kind of keep the, keep the lights on overhead while you're, you know, while you're trying to build that personal brand. Yeah. The game plan was I I would try to do the creative projects that I wanted to do, which at the time were more about illustration. I wanted to be doing illustrations and I would supplement the income doing freelance design work. And thankfully there's tons of freelance work to be done. It's New York, you know, everyone needs help here and there on something. And so I I ended up being able to supplement my income that way, but it kind of became all consuming in a way. It was like, I quit my full-time job to then just go doing the, you know, start doing the, the exact same thing, but for tons of different people and clients, but it still occupied my whole day every day. And so in a way, it was just, it, you know, it, it wasn't the change that I thought I was going to have. It, it wasn't the amount of time that I thought that I would have to be working on my own projects. And it was still just like the same old thing in a way. And that actually took a couple of years. It took me a couple of years uh, to evolve to a place where I was able to start turning down these freelance design gigs and, you know, stop seeking them, start, um, start turning them down and start actually getting paid for the creative projects that I wanted to do. And a lot of that was murals. I, I found kind of a niche in painting murals where I realized I could make decent money painting murals and that could supplement my other projects rather than doing the freelance design work. That's great to hear you just talk about the the length of time that it did take a few years. I think that puts a lot of people's you know, mind at ease that because uh, when we see like your book or that mural, it's like, oh, it just feels like Jason arrived and boom, he that was it. But it's great right. to hear that the process and the hustle and not the hustle porn of it all, but the fact that there was like a lot of a lot of years for you to get that kind of momentum. And, you know, and now here you are like an overnight success after several years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually 10 years. I, I quit my full time job 10 years ago. So it's it is a lot of time, and, and it's funny that you you bring that up because you know you you see people on Instagram or whatever, and it always seems like it 
whatever they're doing seems so immediate. Like yesterday they didn't have whatever campaign or whatever new sculpture. And all of a sudden they're just like exploding. Like it looks like everyone is in that state. So I totally feel you. Absolutely. And so how do you, so you know, you, your taste is driving you more towards murals and everything. So what, was uh you know what was a first you know maybe your first victory that really you know that that you could put your stamp on that put that fuel in your tank so you could you know snowball the fact that uh, you know this this uh, this taste of that you have of uh, of painting murals well the, the the one very pivotal mural was uh, a couple of years ago it was it was the the award for a contest that I entered. It was a mural design contest and it was a real estate company. They had a bunch of empty properties and uh, they had a vacant wall on, you know, it was a very public facing wall on the street. And so they wanted to put up a mural. They ran this contest and I won the contest and that is so the, you know, the, the, the prize for the contest was the opportunity to paint, to paint my design onto that wall. And they did pay me as well, which is nice, you know, for those who are listening who are like, don't work for free. Um, so I did get paid, but but the, the opportunity was massive because um, this is a very public facing street in Manhattan. For those of you who live in New York, it's 16th and 6th Avenue, which is, a you know, which is in Chelsea. It's a great spot. So that was a big break for me because I had done a lot of mural work in Brooklyn and like indoors, like, you know, people always want something related to their brand, like in their conference room or, or like the lobby of a little hotel, you know, things like that. I, I had been able to do a lot of, but I didn't have any public facing work like that. So when I got that mural, once it was done, like it, in a way that was kind of the overnight, that, that moment that we were just talking about, that kind of happened with that mural. And, and the reason is primarily because it's on a very busy street and it was just the sheer number of human beings that walk by that wall every single day. And so I started getting inquiries, you know, people walk by and they see the work and they're like, Oh, I, we've got a, you know, we've got a building or whatever. And one thing led to the next, but it all sort of started for me with that particular mural. And ironically that mural, the message that I put in that mural is live life colorfully, which is the title of my book. So full circle. <laughs> yeah, that, that's incredible. And, and what was the, and you kind of allude to this in the introduction of your, of your book, is that your palette as an artist, of course, is the very vibrant colors, but I think there might have been somewhat of a hesitation to be that bold in your application to try to win this contest. So what was the, the, the calculus you were undergoing and finally just relenting to what is ultimately your taste? Well, I mean, that's a great observation. I, when I was, like I, like I mentioned in the intro to the book, when I was strategizing how to win that contest, and this is the designer in me, of course, you know, instead of thinking like, what do I want to paint? I'm thinking, how am I going to win this? Uh, what do they want to see? You know, so that's kind of where my head was. And I, and I, I was doing the work I was doing before that was, was colorful and it was very like, you know, um, message driven. It was all about positivity The the themes were there. But I, my palette wasn't necessarily so fluorescent and so bright. And I, I think the best way to say it is I was not nearly as confident with color at that time. Mm -hmm. So the, the decision to use that much color was kind of driven by the message itself. You know, I, I liked that quote. I'd stumbled, stumbled upon this quote. It says, when you live life colorfully, people talk about you. 
And I, that resonated so much with me because it, it, it was so curious. You know, I was like, what, what does that even mean? And, and I loved that I didn't know what it meant and that it could go both ways. Like, do you like people talking about you? Do you not? Like, you know, <laughs> it's very individual and personal. So when I decided to use that, that bit of the quote for my piece, I, I felt like the only way to design it was with a full, like, massive amount of color and the mural came out very like bright, bold, proud, tech, like technicolor, you know? And so when, when that started to um, pick up, I realized how much people responded to that. I realized that it was resonating with, you know, everyone who walked by it. There were so many people taking pictures and posting and tagging. And I, I kind of saw it as an opportunity. Like I've got to integrate this, you know, whatever's working here, I've got to, I got to do that more. So that kind of started off this like massive explosion of color that I that I started to integrate into my work, but but it wasn't it wasn't out of the blue. Like I had built up to it, I think enough that I was able to develop the confidence from there to keep using that much color. A negative world that we're that we tend to be living in. Uh, how important is it for you to you know be able to express you know yourself with you know the the art that you bring to the world with such generosity? And to use it in such a, a vibrant way to put that that colorful life in front of us in that uh, and, and imbue us with a certain measure of positivity. I mean, it's kind of become a, a bit of a role that I've uh, like I've assigned to myself, and I, it's something that I love. Like like I said, I, you know, I'm I'm the oldest brother. I'm number two of seven, so I kind of have a big brother personality and you know now that <laughs> big brother might not be the best way to phrase it but you know you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> uh so i i guess what i should say is i have a bit of a caretaker kind of personality you know and i think that plays a role in the messaging and the art that i want to put out there because i do feel this you know this driving force that in my work where i, I feel like i want to share things with the world and i want to remind people you know, people that I know, people that I love and people that I don't know, I want to remind them that like, we're in this together. We will be okay. Like, yeah, it's, it, the world is crazy right now and it probably will be always, you know, tomorrow will be something new. And, and to me, that's fine because we have each other. We, we are able to be optimistic, you know, and, and these kinds of feelings and th this type of messaging, I think it makes me feel good to share that kind of stuff. So in a way it's kind of just become my, my MO whether you're a writer or a visual artist like yourself, there is always this conundrum of, spe not conundrum, but as you're developing as an artist of trying to find your voice. And so right. what was the, what was the challenge or not the challenge, or maybe just the journey of you finding your voice and settling into the, you know, your particular groove. People often talk about that i think that's a that's a common thread with with probably with everyone but with artists obviously that's my realm it's sort of like how do you find your style how do you find your voice and the truth is i, I think that you 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 don't find it until you stop trying to find it you just make work you you know if you're a writer you just keep writing if you're if you draw then you just keep drawing and and the more you do it you start to see patterns you start to see a rhythm in what you're doing and then one day you look back and you realize oh i i actually I can see that I have a voice, you know, and that's kind of how it was for me. I didn't, I remember thinking to myself, like, I, maybe if I do, maybe if I apply this formula, like, oh, there's this artist that I love and they do all black and white with like one color. So if I do that, then maybe I can, you know, I can get, make a name for myself or whatever. Like I had those kinds of thoughts. And then at one point, not sure when this happened, I can only say it now in retrospect, 
at some point I gave up on trying to formula, like put that into a formula and I just started painting and making work. And now looking back, I realized I love doing colorful stuff. I love positive messaging and that's just what I do. And now I know that's my voice, but I don't know exactly how I got here. I do know that it's been a lot of hours of work. The the colorful nature of what you do is just so it's it's like that that person you walked into a room and you see them and they're just like like ah, I like hanging out with that guy or I like ha- hanging out with her like she's just I, they're just cool and when I leave that conversation I'm just like oh man I wanna I wanna do that I wanna be better and is that is that kind of a, a core ethos of of your work that you you know when people see your work or even hang out with you that you want them to take that energy and parlay it into something good for themselves. Totally. And that's so beautifully put. I mean, I love that analogy. And, and I think that brings up the point of authenticity, you know, like I, I, I hope that when people meet me, if, if they know my work, I hope that when they meet me, they feel like it, it's one and the same, you know, I, I want to, I want to behave and like comport myself in a way that, that matches what I'm saying. You know, the, the messages that I'm putting on the street have got to match what's actually in my heart and, and match the way I live my life. And it doesn't have to be that deliberate. I mean, that, it actually is who I am. I'm a pretty like, happy-go-lucky guy. So it does, it does fit. But it, it's, I love the way you put that. You know, I, I hope that people feel that way. And I was reading um, a cool little illustration slash comic from uh, the designer, Elisa Congdon on Instagram. And she, she wrote just this quick little thing and it just said community over competition. And I I think that's really important. I talked to a lot of people on the show about the toxic nature of like jealousy and envy and competition among peers and how that's a fuel that doesn't really burn clean, that it's really, it is better to build community. And I was wondering like, maybe if you can speak to that in, in your, in, in your world, how important it is to build community and to try to foster that instead of, you know, feeling jealous or envious of each other. Yeah. I mean, I love that. First of all, I love that you brought up Lisa. She's one of my heroes and I, I met her once. Uh, we have a great Instagram relationship, but I met her once oh, nice. in person when she was speaking and she's so lovely. So yeah, she, her work is fantastic, but yeah, I mean, I have an abundance mindset and I, I think that it's a crucial way to be, you know, if you, if you want to, I mean, for anyone, you know, if you want to have success and if you want to feel content and happy with the work that you're doing, you have to have that mindset. You know, it's toxic. Competition is, you know, healthy competition. I guess people could speak to that. But for me, I think it's, it's, it's pretty toxic if, if you find yourself comparing, competing. You know, you'll never add up if you sit, if you sit around and compare yourself uh, to the limited amount of information you have about other, other artists, other people. And, and especially like with Instagram, you know, you look at a, look at someone else's Instagram and everyone else has way more clients, way more money, way more time. Like everything's way better. And that's not right. at all the truth. So it's, it, and it, this is easy to say too, you know, I can sit here and say like, Oh, that's toxic. Just don't do it. Like have an abundance mindset. It's hard to actually practice that way every single day, you know, to live your life that way. But I do try, I do try to do that. And the best way for me, I think, to maintain that attitude is to share with other people, share opportunities, share walls, share projects, you know, and share information with other people. And as you were synthesizing the book, you know, what was the challenge for you who's someone who is a, you know, primarily a visual artist working in paints and spray paints and whatever. Uh, what was the challenge for you to, um, to then, you know, write a book, put down text, colorful text, and also some, 
you know, some cool research behind what color can do to your brain in terms of memory and remembering things? Well, the writing was actually kind of hard for me. And the, the idea for the book had, had been kind of buttoned up between my agent, myself, and then once I got the book deal with the editor. So, and what that means is the, you know, the book is 99 ideas to add joy, positivity, and creativity to your life. So the, these 99 ideas actually started out as a list of like 300 ideas. And I oh, had wow. whittled it down. Yeah, totally. Like just a brain dump, you know, like I had just, uh, and actually um, I, I had enlisted the help of my mom. She, she helped, helped me brainstorm some of those ideas. So some of the list of those original ideas came from her and, and a couple of them are in the book, which is amazing. So when she got the book, she was of course so thrilled. But anyway, the, the list had been narrowed down to the 99 ideas. And once that was in place, then I started to do all the illustrations. So I, I had all this art, I had this list of you know ideas, they're like trivia, some are like challenges. I had this list, I had all the art that went with it, and then I had to sit down and write. And all the, up, up to that point, it came really easy for me. It was what I was used to doing, you know, coming up with ideas, coming up with compositions, designs, and even doing like lettering that goes with the the art or the design like to me that's 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 part of the story but to me that's the um that's the art so once that was all done i had to sit down and write it and you know i i think i'm pretty decent at writing like captions for my instagram posts but i i don't think i'm a writer and i'm still coming to terms with calling myself an author but i did i did somehow page after page like write all of this and the editor my editor was great she helped me to kind of maintain my voice and obviously for for people who are writers that's a big thing you know, I, my voice, my visual voice is very clear. My writing voice needed some work. So I, that, that process was a little bit of a challenge for me. Yeah, I would say your the written voice and your textual delivery of your messages was very congruent with the, the visuals. And um, so the, the guitar was in tune, if that makes any sense to you. <laughs> to <laughs> yeah, me. I mean, that's a great compliment. Thank you. And I'm, I'm big on you know, um, sort of the routines and, and discipline and the practice that goes behind doing creative work. Um, so when you were just, let's just use the book as an example, when you were, you know, in the gener generative phase of it, you know, what, how were you setting up your days? So you were, you know, just clipping along, you know, in the grind and, uh, you know, meeting, you know, deadlines, whether they be external, or the ones you set for yourself. Um, that's a great question. I, I do have I do have a, a pretty um, like structured day, life, week, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I, you know, I wake up at the same time. I do my exercise. Um, I I often have a bunch of emails to deal with, and uh, and then I usually end up doing the more creative stuff like later in the afternoon and into the evenings. And the way it was with the book. Um, I've, I I often set aside Sundays as days to just sit on the couch. I put on bad TV. And I'll have my iPad in my hands and I'll just do like sketching, you know, basically it's like kind of creative planning. I'm sketching out things that are going to be coming up and I'm just trying to not think about things and just sketch. So a lot of the book happened on Sundays and I was able to kind of block out like for the next, you know, eight Sundays or whatever it was, I'm working on the book. And I would get into a rhythm where I would, you know, it's like you, you kind of get into a rabbit hole with your own stuff and, and you're, you're lost or you're deep in this hole and you're just working and writing and drawing and, you know, doing the creative thing. And those Sundays turned out to be 
that that the kind of like sacred day for me to to be working on my book and i and that's kind of how i got through it so most of the most of the work especially the visual work happened in that kind of rabbit hole mindset that i got into each sunday for the course of a couple of months and then when it got to the writing portion i felt a little bit of the pressure of the deadline so that was more of a like daily i was trying to work it into my daily tasks um and i would i would just do it one page at a time like i've got to figure out how to write today i'm going to write this one page and if you look at the book of course like these we're talking about a couple of sentences so it really doesn't seem like a lot of writing but to actually condense my idea down to the couple of sentences took took a little bit more work than one might think you know oh yeah well in looking at you know one one of the pages i put a bunch of sticky notes when i when i read books and uh you know one particular one that stood out to me was you know color coding your calendar and right you know that that's one i can see that one almost taking like a week to do because you know you divide you have like a little thing for each day and it's you know it's very very detailed so you know i suspect some of these it might take you an afternoon but maybe one like that one probably uh, could take you an entire day or maybe a few days or or a week yeah, totally. And it's that's funny. The calendar was actually that's one of the ones that was quite laborious. And I just turned to that page as well. Um, oddly, maybe not surprisingly, many of the things that are on that calendar were actually on my calendar at the time. For example, like I did need to talk to the IRS at the time, and it's on that calendar, you know. So I put like <laughs> mail the checks, talk to the IRS, and then and then I put stop worrying because at the time I was like I'm worrying about the IRS and you know my taxes and all that stuff and that was real life that's what was happening so I included it in the in the drawing I love that cuz I uh, have a, a three dry erase big dry erase calendars on on my wall and I color code it just based on certain tasks that way I can just look at it and be like oh I can I see a bunch of green and that means podcast interviews. So I can just see at a glance. I'm like, okay, those days look pretty booked. And it's yep. just, it, I, I just, it, in terms of color, it's just like, you don't have to necessarily read it, but you see the color and you're like, Oh, okay. Deadlines there. <laughs> Appointments there. It's just, it's so helpful. And it's just the way you illustrate it too. is just really like a really fun, a fun take on that. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting like to note the power of color in that application. Exactly. Exactly. Because it, it is something like, okay, I, you don't necessarily need to get into the granularity of it, but you can take this big helicopter view of your calendar, your three month outlook and just be like, okay, I can see where things are starting to fill up. And it's like, oh, okay, that's great. I can see that week is going to be a bear in terms of logistics, but you know, that one looks pretty, that one looks pretty good. That one's just this, that, and the other, but it's like it. And then you zoom in and be like, okay, that's what I'm really dealing with on a, like a, you know, on the, on the playing field, so to speak. But yeah, being able to see that color right off the bat, it just defines things in an instant, which it can uh, alleviate a lot of stress. I know it does for me. Yeah, it totally does. And it, it it's the thing is, it's, it's one of those little things that most people totally understand it. Most people actually do it. They just don't, they don't realize that, that they're doing it or why they're doing it. And they may not, you know, have thought, have sat down to think like, wow, this, this color coding my calendar is actually a quite powerful and effective way to do things it's you know some people are just doing it because it looks nicer because they've always done it or whatever but you know the point of that page is to remind people like this is real this is, this is real stuff we're talking about so I, I i love uh later in the book too you have this great little uh illustration about a permission slip and and so many people who get into the who want to get into something creative 
they often feel like they need permission from some external force. And they don't realize that sometimes it really just comes from within and you just have to have the courage to take the leap yourself. So, um, you know, what was the you know ethos behind, you know, making sure you include something of that nature that really empowers the reader and the, the artist to be? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've always been kind of fascinated with that whole concept of like the permission and the, you know, the idea of should and could, and, and, and it's kind of a self-help topic, you know, but I, I think there's something interesting about this, this idea that this, this, this little slip, you know, this little piece of paper or this little thing that you have that you, you write, you, you are entitled to do this, or you have permission to do this. And, and the simple little act or the simple little piece of paper now gives you license to do something that you wanted to do. Like in a way, there's two sides of this. Like in a way it's really powerful that that can, you know, that this little act or this little piece of paper can, can do that for you. And then on the other hand, it's kind of bullshit that like you, that we, you know, as people feel like we need this little thing, this little piece of paper to actually begin something that is what's in our heart or that's our passion or that's our dream. And I kind of wanted to, you know, to point out both sides of that without actually spelling it out. And, you know, there's the one permission slip that says you, you don't need permission for anything. So this is your permission to not need permission. And the, the point of that one is sort of to, you know, to look at the other side of it, which is like, why are you, why do you need permission? Like, if this is your dream, just go, go get it, go chase it, like start right now. And, and no one's stopping you, but you, so get on it, you know, and that's sort of the point. And then the other permission slip that's in there is the coupon is about like, well, you're, you're entitled. This is what you want. You're entitled to it. So, so take it. And, both of them are meant to be very motivating, obviously. Yeah. And it's, um, and I think a lot of people too, you know, they, maybe they go to an MFA program or grad school for, you know, pursuing a thing, whether it's to be a writer or an artist and, you know, really what they, what they do want, they want some sort of a, a diploma that says, yes, I am a, I'm a writer or I am a painter, but the, all you need are some supplies and the willingness to be bad at this for a long time. And then you yeah. will get good, right? You'll get good if you just keep doing totally. it. Totally. Yeah, you will figure it out. I mean, and it's it's you know, I everyone has imposter syndrome, everyone has those feelings, and it doesn't go away. That's the thing. And I like to remind people of that because I I, I feel that way still to this day, and I'm sure I will until the day I die. And and it's not you'll never I, I don't believe that people will necessarily get over feeling that. They'll just learn how to manage it and use it. You know, I've found myself feeling that way in a fresh like a fresh new version of that recently because of the book. Like I, I feel really confident that I'm an artist. I know how to use color. Like I feel like I'm a master of color and all these things, right? But now I I like I put it on my bio the other day on my Instagram account, I put, I added author and as, I caught myself as I was doing it. I'm like, am I an author? Like, do I get to put this? Like I had those thoughts that came into my mind, you know? And then I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I, I, I'm holding a book in my hand. Like I am an author, but I, I'm still like dealing with those feelings, you know? And so it just goes to show you like that, that's very real. And it's also totally unnecessary and you can move through it and, and do the work. Yeah, I, I totally under understand where you're coming from. You know, I've been I'm not classically trained in in radio or audio production or anything, but I've just been doing this on my own and learning skills like this for many years now. And to if I type in in a Twitter bio or Instagram that I'm that I'm also like a producer of podcasts, like that feels weird to me. I'm more of a writer, <laughs> saying a writer. I'm like, right. oh yeah, I can do that. But typing like yeah, producer, I'm like, whoa, like. 
no, I'm not. I just, this is a thing I picked up on the side and I, but I've been doing it and I can make them for other people. And it's just a thing I developed because I wanted to try it. And it's, but it's weird. I totally get it. It doesn't feel right. Nate calling yourself the thing, even though you've been doing it for a while. (laughs) It goes to show you also that if you do do the work, then you will cross over. You, You will get through that 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 feeling, that imposter syndrome, and and it's a matter of time, and it's a matter of labor, and it's maybe the ten thousand hour. You know, maybe in two years I'll speak to you again, and I'll be like, hey, you know what? I am totally an author, and I've got another book on the way. But today I don't necessarily feel that. So it's you know, it is. You still got to do the, you got to do your part, but it, it's possible to to get past it. Yeah. So how do you process that, and how 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 are you starting to get comfortable with the fact? of calling yourself a writer and an author beside, you know, your, the, the other designations that you've had, uh, that you have right now, how have you been processing that? Well, the, I think the biggest thing that has helped me is, is doing the podcast. And I, I've been doing them, you know, because of launching the book, I've been doing many of them, which has been amazing. First of all, because it's gotten me talking about the book. Um, I remember, fairly recently somebody saying tell me about the book give me your elevator pitch and I, and I kind of stumbled because I didn't even though I had created the book I didn't really know how to condense it into this elevator pitch you know which is kind of silly but it, it the point is like I have had these opportunities to talk about the book to talk about my writing you know to break down my process and each it, which has been really cool because also each each um podcast host has different questions about the book and you know, it's, it's, it's pushed me out of my comfort zone in a lot of great ways. And I think that has been massive in helping me to see that this is a thing that I wrote, that I, I am the creator of this thing. And I'm, in, I'm entitled to feel proud of being the writer and being the author. So I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> it, and over the course of, of writing the book and, and putting this thing together in over the course of your research too, you know, what surprised you most about about color and what it can do to our brains and and our mood. I think the most surprising thing that I learned is that there's not a lot of consistent information and or research or data, you know, about the the psychology of color, the meaning of color. And there that's not to say that there isn't a lot. There's there's tons, but but it doesn't all align. And so I think my my biggest finding is that the the meaning the emotional meaning of color, the the, psych, the psychological meaning of color, the application of color, even from like a neurological standpoint, like uh, there's all these sort of scientific, you know, work done about color. All of it is reliant upon culture, time in history, you know, geographic location. Like there's so many variables in it. And so the big answer to the question is it's kind of up to you. And that's what I kind of took away from the, from creating this book is that, Color is a very personal thing. It's a very powerful thing. And it's something that you are able, you know, every single person on this earth is able to pick up, use how they want to, understand it how they want to, and make, you know, make it what it is for them in a very personal way. And that's what's so special about it. And and given that we've been, you know, living through this pandemic for nearly a year now, uh, how important would you say, you know, color is in a time uh, where people are struggling so much. Uh, so how, how important or what value would you put color, you know, in a time that's, uh, you know, so bleak for so many? 
I mean, it's way up there. It's way up there on the priorities. Um, I think that being cooped up in your in you know in your house, looking at Zoom all day or you know whatever people do, is is the exact reason why we need color. And and the the, the human psyche needs variety. You need to see you know the, the the world around you. Like nature is a very colorful and diverse place. And the human being, in order to be like to be okay, to be sane needs to needs to have this variety and this diversity in um, stimulation interaction you know and color is is the, the simplest way to provide diversity and variety in the stimulation and so it, i think it it can come in the form of a book it can come in the form of going outside and taking a walk which is one of the pages of my book just like get off the chair and go out and walk because that that will do so much for your well-being and you don't even realize it until you've done it you know and, and part of that is that you are seeing something different than your screen or, or the walls in your bedroom or whatever you're you know whatever it is you're you're providing variety in, in how you're stimulating yourself and your brain and so it's crucial sort of as we kind of bring you know bring this airliner down for a landing um you know you are you know you would sort of emit through your work you know a lot of optimism and, and positivity and like we were saying earlier, you know, it's stuff you want to be around that kind of energizes you. So right. as as you go forward with this book and as you keep evolving and developing as an artist, you know, where where do you see your taste taking you? And and also like where where does your optimism lie as we go forward? Well, I think that the the work the work can evolve visually. You know, I, I don't I don't see myself doing a strictly black and white series of work in the near future or anything but visually the work can evolve i think i think the the universal theme that that i that's in my work i i think is pretty timeless and that is the kindness and the positivity i think those things are are not going away i think they they will become more and more important to me and to the world as time goes on so i feel this sense of security about it i feel like I've embraced these themes in my work that are going to carry me forward. And, and visually, I'm not sure where it'll go, but thematically, it's going to stay the same. So uh, did that answer the question, though, actually, now that I'm thinking about it? Uh, oh, absolutely. In terms of where your, your work is going. And yeah, and just, you know, you're, you know, it's uh, sometimes in, in these in these fields, it can be sometimes hard to keep that uh, uh, that positive energy going. Um, cause yeah, there is a grind aspect to doing creative work. So sometimes, you know, having, you know, that thing that keeps you, that puts fuel in your tank, like in your, you know, in your back pocket can really help you through, you know, some bleak times. And certainly when the work feels laborious. Yes, totally. And I think that's, that's the beauty of having, having this kind of a, a message driven, kind of theme focused practice for me it's you know the 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 labor of the work will change and it'll come and go and and to be honest with you there are times when i'm in the sun like painting a mural and i'm tired and like it, it isn't the most joyful moment of of life but the the bigger picture is that the point of the work is to spread the message and the message matters and so that that always is enough to keep going Nice. Well, Jason, this was so great to get to talk to you and unpack, you know, how you go about the work and your wonderful book that is just uh, instantly fun. The minute you open up, it's just like bursting and overflowing with, uh, you know, just wonderful stuff. So it's just uh, incredibly fun to fill up your cup. So uh, thank you for the work and thanks for coming on the show. 
Oh man, it was my great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as we are wont to say on this podcast, that was a toe tap and good time. Had a good time there. I like that. Jason's book's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun reading it. You can read it super fast. I think I like totally read it in maybe 45 minutes. And But it's one of those things where I put a bunch of sticky notes in it. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to go back to that. That's cool stuff right there. Something about color that's a whole lot of fun, you know. You need that pop on your shelf. And you need that pop in your wardrobe, too. It just kind of makes you feel alive. So thanks, Jason. Thank you, CNFers. You know I mean it. While I might still have your attention, if you leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot of that when it publishes, send it to me. Either the Creative Nonfiction email, the Brendan O'Mara email, whatever one, your choice, dealer's choice. And I'll coach up a piece up. I'll coach up a piece up? Ah, God. I will coach up a piece of your work of up to 2,000 words give you a nice experience one hopes so once that publishes once the review publishes we'll get started sound like a plan let's do it why not so my war against social media it's like the i feel like the father in a christmas story and his rivalry with the bumpus's dogs just screaming you know as they as they eat the turkey and anything so uh so i have a similar rivalry as a lot of you know uh, so I, I took it. I took it even a step farther. So some of you might know I, I deleted Facebook. I don't entirely regret that, just a little, and that's fine. There were some groups that were like CNF related that I think benefited the show somewhat, and it was nice to contribute to those communities. But I don't think the trade off was ultimately worth it to stay on the platforms. And I know the people in those groups. So if I really wanted to like still get in there, I can say like, Hey, listen, if you want to share this with that, with that group, I think it'll be worth it, but I'm not there anymore. Just don't want to just want to scrub that from my life. I've been keeping Twitter to a minimum, mainly scheduling tweets ahead of time via Hootsuite. I don't see any weirdness through Hootsuite so I can book my tweets and kind of move on. I check Twitter sort of like email, you know, did someone say hi or link up to the show? If so, I want to give a little look, you know, a little love for that. I don't always see it. I guess my notifications are kind of wonky. So sometimes I scroll along and look at a tweet I had put up and say, oh, wow, someone, uh, someone liked it or quote tweeted it. And I want to make, give, give, give some recognition for that. It's always nice. I'm at a point with the show's audience where it's not a gigantic distraction to do that. It's not like overwhelmed there so i do have the time the bandwidth to give digital fist bumps in a skull you know how that is instagram only works on mobile so i've got that still on my phone but in extreme effort to curtail distraction i deleted my uh, email accounts that matter on my phone i need to keep one there as like a placeholder so to speak but i deleted my real email accounts from the phone i always i would always always oh my god always Check it in every down moment when I was just kind of between tasks and just and it was just getting out of hand. So I got rid of it. Turned my phone into the 2007 iteration of Steve Jobs' iPhone, which is to say it's like an iPod used as a phone. So that's what I did. So I've got my Spotify. I've got my podcast app. I, I like to listen to with Pocket Cast, texting, phone, Headspace meditation app, and my camera. And that is it for the phone. 
and I, I today I today's the day I deleted it and I even made it like an anniversary thing kind of in my bullet journal like delete an email from my phone and I would feel myself reaching for it just that impulse that habit that addiction to refresh like oh did something did someone send anything in it so, so I need to then check in with the computer to check email and that's where I have Twitter that's where I access Twitter too is through the computer I, I don't have it on my phone so I've uh, reintroduced the, the casual email into my life as a way to say hi to friends. I even wrote a zine for a friend, too, because, I don't know, I love zines. So taking all that junk off my phone's means I have to focus on what matters and not get distracted by nonsense. I say all this because I suspect that maybe some of you wrestle with it. And uh, I can say this. Just try something out. Try Twitter Free Tuesdays or No Instagram Mondays or Social, free me- social Media Free Saturdays. Any alliteration you can come up with, it definitely helps. I know the days that I don't engage at all, I feel that little pang of FOMO. But by and large, I feel better, more energized, more useful, and more engaged with the work that matters and not pulled into the vortex of toxic comparison and bullshit. Experiment for yourself. Let me know what you're up to. It would be, uh, be good to know. In the meantime... Keep the conversation going on social media at CNFPod and Twitter and Instagram for inspiring tidbits. Uh, Anyway, Patreon is where it's at. If you have a few bucks to throw into the podcast coffers, money gets funneled right into the production of the show and the audio magazine. Like I say, uh, it's it's free, but it's not cheap. Uh, You get access to forthcoming magazines, transcripts, and coaching. Shop around. There's gold in them thar hills. And get on that newsletter mailing list. Just had a great exclusive CNF and happy hour the other day with a few newsletter pals. So big ups to Suzanne, Betsy, Lori, and Andrew. Might have a guest back for next one. You'll just have to subscribe to find out. BrendanOmera.com. Hey, hey. So until then, stay cool, CNFers. Stay cool forever. See ya. See ya.